there, my name is Oversharing Waring. I mean, Sophie Waring. Oh, that was a bit of a Freudian slip. <laughs> oh my God, I don't mean Freudian slip. Thank you so much for all your feedback on my chat with Ian. It really, really was brilliant to hear how much you got out of it. It's been quite a week with the weather being miserable and I've been doing a bit of deep diving into the past and it's really struck me after having spoken to Ian how you really need to reach a certain level of peace within yourself before you're ready to ask for help or to admit how you truly feel. Obviously, if a family member or a friend came to me and they were struggling, I would do anything I could to help and to make them feel safe in those difficult times. But I have to say that it's not always the same for ourselves. As Ian highlighted in his story, looking after himself wasn't a priority. And that is far too often the case for people suffering with anxiety and depression. You feel so bad about yourself that you just go beneath the surface and you hide. And then you're hit by all these emotions that are incredibly difficult to deal with. And it's impossible to resurface sometimes. So you stay beneath that water struggling. And to a certain extent, you become invisible with your feelings because you're not being true to yourself. You're not saying this is how I really feel. And I think all too often when people have a battle with mental health, we're our own worst enemies. We berate ourselves for not coping. We cross-examine our self for feeling bad, yet we're so much easier on other people. And I'm so intrigued by that. This was definitely the case for me when I was going to start uni. So the boyfriend I mentioned in a previous episode said, you know, he he was sensible, but at the time I, I didn't see that. He felt, because I was going up to Dundee to do a BA honours degree in metalwork and jewellery design, that the 14-hour schlep on a National Express bus would kind of kill the relationship dead. And to a certain extent, he was right, but I was really, really gutted. And not going to lie, was a bit of a bunny boiler. Thank God texts didn't exist back then because he would have got a lot of them plaguing him to take me back. (laughs) Oh my God, how embarrassing. But, you know, I think that happens a lot with first loves. It's hard to let go. So I'm hoping I'm not alone in that or maybe it's just me. (laughs) But I, I, so I wasn't really set up you know, mentally, I wasn't in a brilliant place for going to uni. And my mum and I were waiting for the National Express bus to take me up to Dundee. And my mum was like, it's French. And she said, there is plenty of fish bobbing in the sea. You will meet someone soon. Just forget about it. And I was just like, thanks, mum. Do you mean there are plenty of fish in the sea? And she was like, yeah, 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 yes. Get on the bus. Live your life which is so my mother. So I got onto that bloody bus, you know, full of snot and tears. The poor person sitting next to me, they must have been like, 
okay, I'm going to move at the uh, my earliest convenience. Uh, sorry about that, whoever you were, but I was a hot mess, not going to lie. But I guess, you know, you have to be strong and resilient. So I threw myself into uni life and I was loving my course and I was living with seven girls. Oh my God, the hormones, the dramas, the complete disasters that unfolded because it's just a lot living with seven strangers um, from different walks of life. But it was fun. It was it was good fun, um, and I I I did start to really enjoy it. I sound like I'm trying to convince myself there. Mm, interesting, but yeah, it was really good to have a new environment. But as I said, I wasn't in the greatest place mentally, so I found it tough. Really, really tough going. And you, it was like, you know that fairground ride or, or attraction where you go into the spooky house or the haunted house and you're trying to navigate these floorboards and they keep shifting or they're broken and you're you're trying to pick across them. And that's what it felt like. I really felt like I hadn't found my footing and I didn't feel safe. And I think that's a big thing a key thing for when you suffer from anxiety, if you don't feel safe, if you're struggling um, to feel calm and comfortable, that's that's when the rock can really set in. And I, I had begun to feel that unease that comes with anxiety, that unsettled feeling, because I was far from home. And I will just say that I was not coping quite early on but I was it was it was okay it was manageable but then things started to shift and change because someone back home a childhood friend had died suddenly of meningitis and it was a pretty horrific um way to die and it was it was there was always something going on in the house I was living in and and I I will admit I I've never been very good at coping with things and even though I'd been to uni and I was used to living with lots of people it I think at that point I just felt very vulnerable and found it hard to deal with all the emotions of other people and I and I think when you are anxious it's very easy to absorb other people's um, crap and you know as a people pleaser I was always trying to fix things and sort things so again my emotions my self-care was going down and down and down and you know they those the girls I lived with they weren't to know and it was just one of those situations where I wasn't eating enough I was drinking too much and I I guess that happens a lot when you're anxious you you're trying to blur the edges and actually that's when the real issues can start with eating disorders or having a reliance on drink and drugs because it it's numbing and you're kind of trying to damage yourself in a way you it's not something you co- you're consciously doing but nonetheless it's happening a lot of people were drinking a lot and it was you know crazy times a lot of fun but i was you know really really struggling and it kind of hit 
a point where I was going into town with my friend Hannah, who I lived with, and I was walking down the road and I just suddenly thought I was going to die. And my heart was beating out of my chest and I could see myself on a hospital bed going through the corridors thinking that I was dying. And it was so clear and so terrifying. And I managed to say to Hannah, I, I need to get home, I need to go back. And I was shaking and I couldn't catch my breath. And she took me back to the house and made me a cup of tea. And I just sat on my bed just thinking, what the hell was that? That, you know, what what the bloody hell's going on? And back then there wasn't Google. And so I didn't know what was going on. I did, And I didn't dare go to the doctor in case they told me I was mad. So I just sort of immediately entrenched myself with this awful feelings of anxiety. And I'll admit that I completely gave in to them. So straight away, I thought, well, I need to feel a connection to home. So I bought stamps and a phone card. God, that's showing how old I am. To kind of keep in contact with my parents and friends. And I would start to kind of check my purse all the time that I had those stamps and phone card. And it became like a bit of an OCD thing. And when I was feeling overwhelmed, I kept checking and I bought rescue remedy and I was necking that all the time and calms tablets and trying to kind of resurface from these awful feelings. And it, it kind of worked to a certain extent. And, you know, I I was managing my course really well. And, and I met was lucky enough, I met this really lovely guy. And we ended up um, having like a really, you know, nice relationship together. But there was a catalyst for a really negative turning point. And that was that his flatmate, George from Trinidad, basically had been smoking a lot and he had a really really bad psychotic episode and it it Matt and I took him to hospital because he was so ill and it was bloody terrifying it was so terrifying because I felt like not meaning to make this about me but I I I could I was scared of that happening to me and to see that happening in real time was so awful and he was so far from home and we had to get him help and he w- he just was so ill and I think he did get help and he did get better eventually but I think that stayed with me and even now 23 years on I I can this is the first time I've talked about it in 23 years I just have found it so difficult to and I think I got post-traumatic stress from seeing that and the relationship with Matt ended because of it because we were both you know completely consumed by guilt of having to take him to hospital we didn't know if we'd done the right thing we were only 20 but it was just so difficult to witness seeing someone that mentally ill and I think for me, having had panic attacks on and off for days after that initial one that I just told you about, I just became incredibly fearful. So I didn't leave the house. I changed all my routine. I'd literally just go to art school and maybe a nearby bar, but I wouldn't, I never, I don't think for six months I went back into the 
to town. I just stayed put. And and, and I was lucky enough, I, I kind of got away with it. But I, I was incredibly vulnerable and had these series of things to make myself feel better. You know, checking windows were shut um, and making sure I'd locked the front door. It was It was quite OCD and my room was incredibly tidy and everything was had to be just so and I kind of managed I I sort of limped along and then I decided to have counselling because it just was even though I was limping along that's no way to live you no one should live like that so luckily I had some counselling but a lot of again it was very painful to face up to certain things and I I felt you know quite sorry for myself and sort of reliving things wasn't easy so I'd I'd quite often walk away actually feeling worse at that point for because I didn't want that to be my narrative I didn't want to have been through those things that had happened to me throughout my life and you know the script in my head was already so negative and saying those things out loud although since it has been a healthy thing to do didn't feel so much at the time and so I kind of got through the first year and what you know had some time at home over the summer and got better but I was still incredibly um, careful with myself if that makes sense and sort of got to a point where I thought I was okay was making progress in my second year when I had a really, really difficult experience. And I've decided not to talk about it out of respect for my children because my my son's only 13 and it just doesn't feel right to talk about it on here when they, they don't know and whether or not it will be ever be the right time to talk to them about it. But right now it's not. and But it was an incredibly traumatic experience and on the back of that I left uni pretty bloody sharpish I didn't even pack up I got my friend to do it and I came home and that's when I hit absolute rock bottom and I said to my parents I want to die and I meant it and and I had nothing in me left so they took me to the doctors and I went on Prozac, which made me feel really, really woolly. And I didn't feel myself at all, but it was better than feeling how I was feeling. And I was set up with six um, appointments for counselling again. And I sort of thought, well, if I'm going to get better, it's going to, I need to do it, not just for myself, but for people around me. And uh, it was it was a horrible time. I I can barely even talk about it now. I was extremely agoraphobic. I couldn't go out at all, and I lost so much weight from not being able to eat. So it was decided by my parents that I should move in with two friends, which one of them I I didn't know very well, and the other one I'd known for a long time on and off through other mutual friends. And so I moved in to this house with some friends and that's when I became like full on OCD. I'd wake up in the night and start cleaning and I began to 
severely restrict what I ate. And I think at at that point it was about trying to regain control and trying to get better. So I'm going to leave that there and for this episode and we'll share more with you next time about what happened but um I'm sorry this one's been a lot more hardcore and not many funny stories except my terrible French accent but um I'm thinking of you guys and I hope you're all well and I'm sending you lots and lots of love until next time bye